Everybody, happy 2020. I hope you had a wonderful end of 2019, that you had a very Merry Christmas holiday season, that you got to spend it with the family and friends. And I welcome you to this second season of uh, Manny Talks. And uh, first of all, I want to thank everybody who supported this uh, project. When it got started a few months ago, it was great. I learned a ton, made a ton of mistakes, got a bunch of advice from some successful people. So I thank you to those that have provided feedback, even some of the listeners for sure. Thank you for weighing in and let me know, giving me show ideas, etc. So this year I'm excited about it. Uh, got a great uh, uh, plans for what we for what I want to accomplish with this project. And I've reached out to uh, several people to be continue to be interview guests. And so really looking forward to that. I disappeared for two weeks. I took my vacation and one of my uh, goals was to fully disconnect and to to engage with my family only and kind of really soak it in and, and pick up and work on some things that I've been wanting to do, etc. And I managed, I still kind of got on social media and kind of looked and I saw the activities and certainly around the holidays and I commented on some things and so on. Uh, so I was more resisting the urge to, you know, promote the podcast and, and put a lot, you know, work on content, etc. I truly did manage to stay free and clear. So tomorrow, January 6th is my first day back. Actually today, today, if you're listening to this, this is when I plan to release it. It's my first day back and uh, to work. So now I'm going to go back into work and, and work at uh, getting back into the swing of things. So today's episode is uh, one that I recorded before the holidays. I was privileged enough to have a great conversation with a dear friend of mine, Mike, Michael Cantu. So this episode, uh, I want to dedicate to his uh, mother, Mary Cantu. And little did I know that uh, while he was, you know, accepting to be on this podcast and to um, do the interview, even the day of the interview, he was dealing with uh, some personal items and his uh, his mother uh, was uh, dealing with some issues. And unfortunately, she passed away within a few days of us doing this interview. So I want to dedicate this uh, episode to Ms. Mary Cantu. Uh, rest in peace. Uh, thank you for the gift that is your son. Uh, the, the if, if his friendship and the way he works with people is even but a tiny reflection of who you were as a parent, thank you for, for that. Mike, you continue to be in our thoughts and prayers, and I hope that you are doing well, my friend. So again, without further ado, please enjoy this conversation with Michael Cantu, a friend, a dedicated STEM mentor, and an engineer with Hewlett Packard Enterprises. I look forward to this conversation. All right, guys. So in this episode today, I have the chance to finally get with one of the people that I've been wanting to talk to. Look, so in the last couple of episodes, you guys have seen me go kind of back in time and and pull in some uh, friends of mine that I went to school with, uh, you know, Gabe Cruz and Peter Reyes. If you haven't listened to those episodes, like true, I definitely recommend that you do because uh, I'm sure those names will pop up in this conversation as well. So today I got uh, Mr. Mike Cantu. Uh, he currently works with HPE as an engineer program specialist, but we'll get to that. I know Mike Cantu as the Myas member, student committee member uh, that I met right at the beginning of when I was a professional. And so we're going to get into all that. So, uh, Mike, uh, thank you very much for making your yourself available tonight. Uh, I know you're a busy man, but uh, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. No, no problem. You saved me from having to put up Christmas lights in the dark tonight. Oh, so, uh, <laughs> so I got a little bit of it done. I said, oh, I got to go talk to Manny. So we'll get it done this day. That's funny, man. I was I've been dealing with some of those Christmas light issues here as well. And yep, you like you, man, I'd rather be doing this right now. So, uh, Mike, why don't you go ahead and uh, introduce yourself to us? Let us know who you are. All right. Uh, like Manny said, obviously, my name is Mike Cantu. Uh, we're both from the great city of San Antonio, Texas. Uh, I grew up there with one sister and both of my parents, uh, kind of the Marbach and 410 area, for those of you who are from there, familiar. And I just lived in San Antonio my whole life and then uh, just went from there through high school and went off to college. And uh, that's kind of where the story starts. Pretty generic, normal, 
uh, upbringing there in San Antonio. And your parents, Mike, what did what did your parents do? I always ask this one because I think it's interesting. What did what, what kind of work were your parents into? So my mom actually was an accounts payable um, attendant for the Baptist Health System there in town, one of the hospital systems. And uh, my dad did IT work for both uh, Air Force as a civilian and then for uh, random companies after that. Um, he worked at Kelly Air Force Base uh, doing IT for different programs, mainly the C-17. That's uh, the Air Force's second biggest aircraft carrier. Um, and then he got laid off for my birthday, actually. I can't remember which birthday, but the last day the base was open was my birthday one year. So then he just bounced around a few different companies and did IT work. And did, did they, uh, was this with, they, with the college degree that they did these jobs? Uh, no, actually, they both met at SAC at a Christmas party, but I don't think either of them actually finished. Or no, my mom finished, uh, but she had her degree in something like um, uh, law administration or, or like law clerical. But mm-hmm. uh, my dad didn't actually finish, but he did all his Microsoft uh, certifications and all that stuff instead throughout his career. Okay, did that? Did your interest in engineering come from them when you were growing up, or did that come from somewhere else? Uh, kind of from somewhere else. Um, I like just taking stuff apart. I was that kid who would always take stuff apart, put it back together with 10 less pieces. Yeah. And uh, it would still kind of work. So (laughs) that was really where it started. I like monkeying with things. And my dad left some tools out. You know, I would try and get him. So what can I do with this? What can I I use this to take apart something else? Uh, Whenever my grandpas and dad and people were outside at their houses working on cars, uh, I would always want to be there working on it. They wouldn't let me till I was a little older. But uh, I just always really loved taking stuff apart. And uh, just understanding how it worked and then putting it back together just to teach myself something else. Hey, I want to know how this works. So just that um, curiosity to know more is kind of what drove me towards engineering. I was told, hey, you should be an engineer. You like mechanical stuff. You like doing this. And someone just threw out the word engineer. And I just stuck with it and ran with it. Gotcha. Gotcha. So you said you mentioned you're from San Antonio, Texas, and that's where I am from, too. So that is that is home. So I definitely know where the Marbach 410 area is. What high school did you go to? I went to John Jay High School. John Jay High School. So I lived in the John Jay area, but I uh, I was going to go there anyway, but I actually went to their uh, science and engineering magnet. Okay. Uh, Had only been open for a couple years. I think I was the fourth or fifth graduating class. So um, it was good. I mean, it was you got the, the education of the magnet with the area you were supposed to go to anyway with all your friends from middle school. So it kind of worked out great. OK, so look, and I, I am a big I, I have a tendency, Mike, to, to ruin the punchline of my own uh, podcast. And like because I can't help myself sometimes. So one of the big reasons why, you know, and of course, I've shared this with you, why I wanted you on here was just because of the variety of hobbies and things that you're interested in and that you're into on top of being this uh, engineer with uh, HPE and stuff you did with Myas, which we're going to get to. But I think this is where I want to start kind of unraveling that and and kind of talk about your time when you were in high school. And tell me what was life like for you in high school? Did, is, did you start getting involved with stuff even back then? Uh, or what was that like? Yeah, so for me, my main hobby, that's really been more of an addiction and a, a life problem because it, it <laughs> takes so much time and energy and money is music. Uh, it's, it's something that you don't get to choose. It chooses you. That's what I think. And, uh, I started music when I was in middle school, I played trumpet and band. For some reason I wanted to play the clarinet at first. And my mom said, uh, that sounds kind of funny. If you play trumpet, you can make money in mariachi. Like, make money. All right, cool. So then I immediately switched over to trumpet and, uh, that's really where it started. So that, that was my main thing. And then, like you said, getting into high school, um, high school was banned and I, uh, there was a mariachi group there at the high school, but it was kind of falling apart here and there. And luckily, when I really started getting interested, uh, they hired a, a new mariachi instructor. Um, I was also in uh, the jazz ensemble. We even started a salsa group, like a big combo with bass and horns and sax and all the rhythm section. So, yeah, it was pretty diverse as far as trying to do a bunch of things, but all kind of centered around music uh, as far as high school went. I didn't do a whole lot of anything extra besides that with school. Um, one of the things I did kind of start picking up in high school on my own was gardening, as random as that sounds. Really? Um, yeah, I actually really like gardening. Uh, I was I really like growing roses there at my parents' house. If you drive by my house uh, in San Antonio, there's two gigantic um, palm trees and a huge, actually, Christmas pine tree that we never cut down. We bought a sapling at a tree farm when I was about 10, and now it's about 40 foot tall, and it's a problem. <laughs> so... Um, <laughs> 
uh, yeah, just now that I'm, you know, here in Houston, I have a home now getting back into the gardening thing. But yeah, my, like I said, it's that curiosity of just wanting to know more about everything. Hey, so those, um, all those, those flower beds and all that landscaping in the front of your house, you did all that? No, actually, that was the people beforehand. Oh, I like the landscaping. <laughs> I like the gardening. Okay. I want to grow it and eat it. I, I want, you know, maices and potatoes and chiles and all oh, that. Oh, you're, you're talking about functional, not just not just a pretty, pretty anyways. Exactly, yeah. You know, for those of you that obviously I've been to Mike's house and he's got a very nice uh, curb appeal to Mike's house is, is pretty nice. Uh, but anywho. All right. So uh, you're doing this music thing. And I find that interesting that you were in a, a STEM magnet school, but it also had a music program. Or did you have to bounce between like a different school and the STEM magnet to be able to accomplish that? So that's the really lucky thing with the way the J and the Science Academy had it. Um, you were on campus mixed in with everyone else. Um, it wasn't only it was the only thing oh, okay. about the magnet was your class schedule and the people in it. Uh, but for PE, for speech, for health, for music, for everything else, you were just a regular, you know, John Jay Mustang. Okay. That's what you did. You went to all the classes and you were in, you know, um, for some of us, high school is an experience, but you were in general pop for the rest of your time there. <laughs> general population. I, I love it. Yeah. All right. So you end up making it into the big show, into A&M. Did you go to A&M straight out of high school? Like I sure did. Okay. Uh, so one part of my, so I, one of the themes I, I want to re- really touch on is it's really both my grandfathers that, that gave me both, you know, my mom's side, it was the music. He played accordion okay. and he always had a bunch of musician friends that he would talk to. And I, I mean, for those who were into the kind of music man, and I like uh, Flaco Jimenez is a legend. And yes. I got to hang out at his house when I was a kid, just him and my grandpa would BS and talk and, you know, hang out. And um, so from him, I got the music. And then my other grandfather, he was he also worked for the Air Force, but on more of the technical side, some of the mechanical parts of the um, the C-17 program like my dad. But not as a, he didn't get a degree. He just went in after he served and then he became a civilian afterwards. Okay. Um, and I forgot what the question was. <laughs> no, no, no. I was just trying to to, to get to the, to to A and M, and I had asked you, "Hey, did you oh, go A&M, to?" There you go. To, so, hey, yeah, look, so. even I got lost, man. I started hearing you talk about music and and your grandpa, and I started reminiscing I, about my dad and music. So <laughs> even yeah. I forgot what I asked you. No. Yeah, no, but it, I promise it. I promise it'll make sense. So uh, <laughs> my mom's dad, he's actually from Bryan, Texas. That's where he was born at, yeah. and that's that's the you know original town right next to College Station where Texas A&M is at. And uh, we'd go there every year to visit the cemetery, to see some of his family members. And uh, ever since I was really little, we'd go. And um, he said, oh, we'd always pass by names. Like, well, you're going to go there one day. Well, you're going to go there one day. And uh, it just always stuck in my head. It was never a question. It was then like, yeah, just, you know, the first thing that was always stuck in my head is you're going to go to college from everyone. Mom, dad, all, both grandmas, both grandpas, POCS, everybody. You're going to college. There was no question. That was always just, you're doing it. And... When my grandpa said, you're going to go to a and I was like, all right, I'm going to go to A&M. And uh, there at John Jay, you know, luckily enough, uh, I was smart enough to, to be very honest, not try super hard. And I made it to the top 10. And uh, back then, top 10 got any public school in Texas you wanted, mm-hmm. automatic acceptance. Um, I had my eye on MIT a little bit, but my, my eternal excuse is going to be their application took too long. And to accept A&M, I would have had to defer A&M to finish my application for MIT, which had like three parts of beginning, mid and end year. So I said, you know what? I, I chose A&M over MIT. There you go, man. You um, snooze, you lose. No, It's always going to be my excuse. <laughs> uh, but yeah, then uh, jump straight from, from uh, high school to, to Texas A&M. So look, you had mentioned something there about, hey, everybody, it sounded like in your family, uh, was was pushing going to to college. In hindsight, do you think, hey, it was because you had like like family realized the benefit of college? Like, is there a bunch of college grads in that, in your family or was it just uh, not? I don't know what else. Not tongue in cheek, but was it more? Hey, well, this is what, you know, people that are successful do. So therefore, you got to do it, too. Uh, which side of the fence was it on? It's probably the latter. Um, the only person in my family who had actually gone to college before me was my mom's sister. My I, We call her my nana. Uh, she went to Texas State back when it was Southwest Texas, something or the other. Yeah. And then she transferred to, to UT um, and did pharmacy school. And it, you're, you're hitting the nail on the head, Manny, when you say it's just what other people that are successful do. So you have to do it. That's literally why my, why my nana is a pharmacist now, because my grandpa heard one of his friends 
one of his daughters did pharmacy school and she made a lot of money. So he said, hey, Mika, you should do pharmacy. So she found a pharmacy school, transferred from Texas State to UT and got her pharmacy degree. And that's what she does to, till this day. Okay. And it was the same thing for me. It was, hey, if you want to be successful, move up in life, you're going to go to college. You know, my, I think uh, on my mom's side, neither grandparents finished uh, high school. My grandpa used to have to play music to earn money. My grandma was a lunch lady. And they just, and on the other side too, you know, uh, I think they've been more formalized education on my dad's side, but um, everybody just said, you know, college is important. You're going to go. If it's a two-year degree, four-year, if you want to get a PhD, it's all the same, but you're going to go. Yeah. Awesome, man. So you get over to A&M. And so look, you end up, you graduated with a uh, industrial and systems engineering degree, correct? That's it, sir. All right, perfect. My homework, hey, it's on the internet. So if it wasn't, it's it's fact now because that's what the internet said you did. No, I'm just kidding. So you know, I, that I thought about that with this podcast. Like, this is going to be on on the internet forever. So I need to need to watch what I say. <laughs> so so look, so I, I help me understand how did you land on that field of uh, engineering and where did that come from? Uh, that came from messing up and and not passing all of my classes with high enough grades. If I'm being honest. Okay. Um. I started off as a mechanical engineer. Uh, that's what I really wanted to do. In my head, I thought, man, I'm going to get a mechanical engineering degree. I'm going to go work for GM or Ford or Cadillac or, you know, someone specific. I remember even my freshman year when I still had, you know, fairly good grades. I looked for an email for Vic Edelbrock. For those of you gearheads who know yeah. what that is, Edelbrock's, you know, performance parts for cars. And I said, do you have an intern program? Because I'm interested. They said, you know, we don't. But if you email us later on, et cetera, you know, we can see about that. And they never responded. Um, but I really wanted to do mechanical engineering, especially automotive. And then I had a semester where I didn't do so hot. And because mechanical is the biggest, uh, you know, lower level engineering degree, uh, or so at A&M you have lower level, upper level, most places do. And if you don't have a certain GPA, you don't make upper level. So they have the mechanical minimum GPA higher than most because they have to weed so many kids out because, Half of all the freshman engineers at AM are mechanicals. Okay. Uh, and I was one of the ones that got weeded out and said, hey, go over to industrial systems engineering. And if you do three semesters straight of something like a three, five or higher, you can come back. Well, I, I missed the mark on that by a few points and I ended up staying. But it turned out to be really good because I really, really liked industrial engineering once I was there. Okay. So look, and I kind of want to dig a little bit uh, and and not to pour salt on a wound, but you mentioned, hey, you had you had uh, done some things that you weren't able to keep up the grades. Like in hindsight, uh, was there something that you should have done different or something that you learned or like what what was the source of, of that hiccup in your in your journey? So like I mentioned in high school, it was really just it, it was almost a cakewalk. I don't want to make it seem like I'm that smart or high school is that easy. But, you know, I did all my homework at, at school. I finished it in class ahead of time. I really never had to study for tests. Uh, I studied a little bit for AP tests and I, I passed almost all of them except the math and physics because those were just, for me, those are extra hard. But that's probably showing why. I didn't have good study habits is the short, the short answer because in high school I didn't need them. Uh, so those, you know, habits of understanding what you understand and you know, working off what you think is between your ears, work for about a semester and a half. But once you get into harder classes like um, electric, electricity and magnetism and um, physics two and things like that and differential equations, um, I didn't have the right study habits and I wasn't the type of person to study with people. And I'm also a very visual person. Yeah. So sitting there with a thick calculus book and just trying to crunch through problems really was difficult for me. Um, so I think that was part of it. And, and then another part of it, I think I just, um, like I just, sometimes I would get so frustrated with studying because yeah. if I didn't get it, it'd be hard to, to keep going and keep pushing because I would hit a wall and I just wouldn't know how to get around it. Hey, look, and you, and you, and you're saying a, you're telling a story that isn't that uncommon. Like I run into so many students that were, you know, that are super smart. And, and I always keep going to my UTRGV and my, you, you know, my UTEP people that, that I kind of, that, that I kind of mentor or, or that I recruit from. But I see this, I see this story play out a lot even today to where someone has a lot of natural talent. They go to high school. It comes natural, right? To, to do the math and the science in a high school level. Parents that, or people at home. Uh, maybe didn't have some college experience or don't know how to guide them past, hey, go get good grades, go into college. 
And then these kids or these people, uh, young adults show up at college and get slapped in the face in the first semester like, hey, that there's more. And on the flip side, there's some other people, peers of these same students that whose parents do have who know that, hey, it's completely different ball game between high school and college. And they start to like pour into them uh, way earlier in their in their high school career. And so like for right now, right now, for example, my daughter, she's a junior in high school and I'm like looking for for all those moments in in the way that she talks about for example she's doing physics and like right now we're battling out the whole are you a good test taker or are you actually understanding physics well that's something that there's no way my parents would ever have been able to ever you know had that kind of discussion for me the point i'm trying to make is that there's an entire uh, uh, uh set of mentorship and guidance that someone that in that's in high school needs in order to be successful in their in their in their in college and what happens unfortunately to a lot of uh, latinos or underrepresented minorities is that we don't have those influences and so we end up stumbling a little bit and at, at the beginning so, but it, you also said, Mike, hey, it turned out to be a good thing. So tell me, what have you found uh, in, in industrial and systems engineering and, 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 and what do you like about it? Or what was the change for you there? So the change for me, again, like I said, I'm a visual learner. And a few of the things in industrial engineering that really jumped out to me at first were uh, optimization type classes, you know, mathematical optimization. If I have this constraint here, that constraint is a binary. Is it more than one or two? Uh, and, and, you know, systems of movement, if we're going to have a Q system, what's my Q here, what's my lambda there, et cetera. And those kind of um, things. Another thing that if, if you dive into certain corners of industrial engineering, there's warehouse science and, and inventory management, et cetera. And those things that you could, that I could at least conceptually wrap my head around and physically see if I wanted to or visualize uh, those, uh, I really gravitated towards like, like anything, like most people. If you're good at something, you're going to like it. And then if you get an A on it, you're going to like it even more. You know, you just kind of get that snowball of positive motivation. Uh, so that's really what that was. And um, the senior design project was kind of a mix of all that stuff uh, where we got to work at a small shop here in Houston that did, um, I think it was O-ring manufacturing. And we had to, you know, redo their inventory of tooling, uh, change their tooling uh, movement and how they transported them to the different machines. Yeah how they managed them, how they took care of them, where different size ones were placed based on the weight, the size, the, the, how often they use them, et cetera. So I, I think it, um, it had a really, really good punctuation at the end of, of my college career, of wrapping all those things up that I began to like and really learn to enjoy in a senior design project. Awesome. So in, in, uh, A&M, so you also got involved in a mariachi, right? So you were part of a mariachi and you started to, or you did get involved with, uh, Mayas there at A&M and ultimately became part of the national student committee and ultimately on the board and stuff. So kind of talk to me about those extracurricular activities that you got involved in and maybe also help me remember when we met, if you re if you recall. Yeah, I was thinking about that. I was trying to dig back through the files in my head, but uh, starting off with the mariachi, I, like I mentioned before, I had done that since middle school and I really, really liked it. And I, some of my, my parents' friends, uh, I don't know if anyone remembers, but back in the day on Univision, they used to have infomercials for this thing called Cien Rancheras Clásicas, where they were just really old, Jose Alfredo Jimenez and, and other artists from back in the 30s and 40s and 50s. Mm. So I got really deep into mariachi in high school and I continued in college. Uh, there, the Aguila Mariachi Anil de Oro. I was trumpet player and bass player, and I was lucky enough to be president one year. And um, that was just a constant thing, practicing all the time and having gigs while being in college too. Um, so that was a good experience, and you know, helped me learn how to manage my time. And then Mayas, um, yeah. I've heard you said, how do you go from a, a freeloading pizza eater to being an active member? And I was actually a freeloading torta eater. Yeah. Uh, that's how one of my, my buddies from, from high school, uh, Juan Gonzalez, uh, rest in peace, a great guy. But he said, hey, man, there's this organization where it's all Hispanic people, mostly Mexican people. And on this first day of the semester, this first meeting of the semester, they have free tortas show up and they always have extras. You can take some to your dorm and have them for the rest of the week. And I was like, man, I'm going. I don't even know what it is. And I'm there. <laughs> so I, I show up. And, and luckily, we had a great chapter that first year. Um, and they, they had us hook, line and sinker. They knew we had just got our, our refund checks from our scholarships and from our, our, uh, 
financial aid. And they said, hey, we're about to have a symposium in Albuquerque, New Mexico. For 100 bucks, you get membership, two T-shirts, your flight, and your symposium paid for. And I was like, here's the money right here. Sign me up. So that's really where I started with MICE at Texas A&M. And from there, I just fell in love with it. It was just a community. It was resources. It was people. It was someone who talked like you, looked like you, was into the things you were into. Mm -hmm. On top of more people who are similar, but also unique in their own way. And it was just um, kind of going from culture shock from San Antonio to the, kind of the ranch out of Texas A&M. You had that feeling of, man, people look at me funny. There's not very many Hispanics where I live. People think it's weird that I brought an accordion with me to my dorm and I know how to play. And I'm like, uh, you know, I'm different to most people, but in this group, we're all the same. So it felt really good to, to find an organization um, to be a part of and then eventually get the opportunity to give back. Do you remember what year that symposium in Albuquerque was? 2007. 2007. Okay. And then... Uh, so did I, and I, again, here I'm stumbling cause I'm trying to remember if we met as students or was it my first year as a professional? Cause I know I think we did meet as students. Cause I know, I think we met in Vegas the first time. So it must've been, Maybe so just, that must've been as a, my last, cause if it was a Vegas one and I know it was pretty close, if it was a Vegas one, then it must've been right. Like my last, uh, my last year. Because then after that, what I remember is then uh, Peter, myself, and Adriana were all tri-chairs for NLC and DC. And at that point, you had gotten to where you were part of the uh, student committee. Yeah, I think, well, maybe even before then, because maybe. were you part of the, the NLC in Denver? Yeah, I was there as a, yeah. as, a uh, as a professional. Oh, you're there as a professional already. Okay. Yeah. So anyways, it becomes fuzzy. from SAC too, but yeah. Yeah. So here's the and so what I remember and I'll tell you, I might not remember when we met, but I can tell you why I kind of gravitated towards you. And I think and I think I've shared this one. When I first saw you, you reminded me of my younger brother, which is funny enough because you guys have met since and and he's into music also. And you've you know, you got you. He's part of, he you are part of his musical network and vice versa. Right. So anywho. But initially I was like, man, this guy reminds me of Tom and you know, that, then it was, there was coming from San Antonio was another one. And I know it was still a group of, of, uh, of Latinos, but the Latinos that are from Texas, more specifically San Antonio, who like conjunto music and Norteñas and have an appreciation for mariachi. Like there's a, either they're not, uh, there's not a lot of them or they stay silent because people look at you weird. If you like conjunto and Tejano music, right? Everybody likes to, the reggaeton and the, you know, hit Latino pop or whatever. But, and so you started yeah. talking about this stuff and I thought that it was pretty cool that there was somebody there that I could relate to like that. So Mike, did you ever become an officer or tell us about when you became an officer? President that year had his internship with Intel. He was a PhD student. Uh, his internship with him extended to a co-op extended to a two semester co-op. So uh, the other vice president kind of became president and I was just general vice president of everything. So, yeah, I got to get some some leadership at the student chapter level first. And then at one of the um, one of the regional leadership conferences, I think it was the year we were in what we, we called it Memphis, but it was Olive Branch, Mississippi. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we, we landed in the Memphis airport, took an hour drive. It was like, we're Memphis. OK. But, uh, yeah, it was there where, where I ran, and uh, I believe it was a guy named Jared, myself, and Cassie were the national student rep and two vice national student reps. Okay. And I think that was a position I had for two years. Cool, man. So, look, let's start making the transition into you as a professional because we've been talking about 30 minutes now, and we still don't know what the heck you do. So uh, you had a, you, let's talk about you as a, as a professional, right? So you graduate from from A&M, uh, what was the, where did you go to work or what have you done in, as a professional? So when I was still at A&M, I had an internship. I actually interned for uh, Mrs. Baird's bread company here in Texas, but they're actually owned by Bimbo, you know, the, the Mexican yes. bread company. So I got to do an internship with them and uh, it was pure industrial engineering in a manufacturing setting, you know, got to a bread factory. You saw from everything from here's where the flour comes into the silo the dough, the molder, the proofer, the bake, the oven, the cool down. 
Slice, et cetera, et cetera. And um, got to do a few projects with them, the primary of which was uh, every time, at every point in the process, you know, there's a certain weight that the piece of dough or bread has to have legally. And then anything over that, you're kind of wasting. So a big project I had was doing some statistical analysis on uh, where we can improve. Um, so that was kind of my first you know, professional or, or internship type thing, my first job as an engineering student or an engineer instead of just my previous jobs like Taco Cabana and stuff. Uh, from there, after I graduated, as I mentioned, I wasn't the best student when it comes to grades. Um, I was one of those, my grades don't tell the full story kind of guys. And uh, Myas actually really helped me trim up how I presented myself, how I talked, how I tried to uh, networking and speaking to people. And uh, I was able to work for a small company called Great Southern Wood Preserving. I actually found them on A&M's uh, internal job posting site. And there was something there for a, a, a quality professional or a, what was it called? Process improvement engineer. And uh, if anyone here in the south or kind of southeast has ever gone to Home Depot, you see the wood with the yellow tags on it. This is Yellowwood. That's the company I worked for. Huh, okay. That's, uh, that was the brand name. The, the company was Great Southern, but the brand name we had was Yellowwood. So worked for them for a couple years. Uh, and that in itself was kind of a culture shock. It was, it is a company that's privately owned by the richest man in Alabama. Uh, we get to meet with him at least once a quarter. And we'd uh, hop from a bunch of little plants all across the South and middle of nowhere, everywhere, Texas, Mississippi, Louisiana, Arkansas, Florida, Georgia, um, everywhere, uh, sometimes up into Pennsylvania and Delaware. But uh, it was a good old boy type of company. Organizationally, it was very flat. So I wasn't a people manager, but I was considered management level because uh, I was in charge of overseeing quality and uh, chemical expenditure for four different plants. And then I also became in charge of the what we call a treating operator training program. Uh, so that was really cool. I got to work with a company here out of Houston that creates custom training. You know, if you have a job somewhere, I'll say, welcome to whoever corp. This is our internal training. Step one, you're going to you know do this. I got to work with a company to build one of those for our company, for the guys who run the big machines that treat the wood. Uh, so that was a really interesting. And then I got to do a little bit of um, capital expenditure project management in Kansas City, uh, adding some new tanks and new piping and having to you know, drop how those are going to work, learn how to um, work with a contractor and make sure they're on time, on schedule, everything is safe and documented correctly uh, and those kind of things. Um, so that was really my first jump from being a student to a professional was uh, being on the road a lot, middle of nowhere towns and uh, again, back to being the only Hispanic in, in the wide radius of wherever I was at. Yeah. And look, Mike, I like what you kind of said, and I want to make sure. And and I think you maybe you, you you rolled through it, not intentionally, but you you said, hey, you know, you had some uh, you were that kind of person where the grades didn't speak, tell your full story. But then you followed it up with a but 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 Maya's helped you learn how to package and talk to the parts of your story that were you. Right. Uh, it wasn't uh, you didn't leave it to chance. You kind of saw the benefit and were able to 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 use that, I guess, that soft skills training. Right. To be able to get you into into this first opportunity. So uh, currently you work for HPE. How did that happen? Uh, again, network again, none of the grades, all the network. Uh, one of the guys I did my senior design with at Texas A&M, uh, he got uh, I forgot his exact career path, but he ended up landing at HPE. And um, we hadn't talked in a couple of years. You know, we did our project. We were pretty cool friends then. Didn't really hang out a lot with social, more just class. And then he hits me up on down LinkedIn and says, hey, man, hope you're doing good. Long time, no talk. Uh, my team is looking for someone here at HPE. So, you know, let me know if you're interested. You know, we'd be willing to, to take a, a resume. So let me know. And then I'll talk to my, my manager and, you know, we can see what you can do. And I just did that, followed through, and um, luckily all the other people in his network, which I think afterwards I found out was about five or six, none of them responded to him except me. So I interviewed and I landed the job um, with, with great timing. You know, my wife and I, we were looking to help me find a job that would get me off the road. I, I was getting to the point at the end where I was a CapEx project manager, uh, being on the road at least half the time, two, two out of the four weeks of the month. 
So we say we need to, you know, quiet this down a bit. Uh, so it worked out great. Um, again, keeping the network open, staying open to opportunity, always having your resume ready, and then just um, being able to to go in a situation and say, hey, I don't know anything about servers. I don't know anything about software, but I'm willing to learn. And uh, I'm, I'm tenacious when it comes to trying to overcome an obstacle uh, that will get me moving forward. That's pretty cool. So currently, Mike, you know, I, I may have butchered what your uh, what your title is. Can you give me an idea of what your what your current role is? I don't know worries. I butcher what my title is all the time. Uh, it's always <laughs> changing as far as role day to day. So I started as a quality program manager, but now today I'm an engineering program specialist. Uh, so what that entails at HPE is for our server products that we build, we have a uh, and what are called holes and purges, you know, things that don't go right. I'm part of the team that helps fix things when they don't go right. And we have to work with our uh, customers in the field, the people who make our customers whole, and also our engineering uh, factories and supply chain. And uh, let's say, for example, there's a certain part that is just, we shouldn't be going out there. We understand and research the whole issue from the field, all the way back to the supplier, put the part on hold, fix orders that may have been impacted, et cetera. And that's kind of the day-to-day work. And on top of that, uh, I also do some quality stuff when it comes to advising on what kind of quality metrics we can be moving forward with and uh, also projects as they come along. Uh, For example, a a project I'm working on right now pretty heavily is um, for everyone's favorite big blue social media platform and uh, a fairly hefty request they had of us when it comes to our internal record keeping. Um, And we're getting it done. You know, I just turned in a report today that we're about 90% there. So that project came to me and uh, maybe three months ago, four months ago, and it just uh, had to happen ASAP. So day to day is different all the time, but that's kind of what makes it fun and keeps it somewhat fresh. Awesome, Mike. So look, and throughout all of this, because even now you're still involved in stuff, right? And I guess we'll, we'll start turning into kind of the what I wanted to highlight as part of this episode. And your history is important to talk about because I think it plays into into who you are today. It ha- I mean, it does. I'm not not. I don't think I know that it does for you, for me, and for everybody. Our past kind of kind of kind of makes us who we are. So throughout all this, Mike, you continue to keep a very uh, healthy slate of uh, of hobbies. So before we start digging into that, ultimately, I want to know, like, why do you do this and, and, and what's the benefit and what's your advice? And we'll, I, I guess I'm kind of giving you the lineup, but give us an idea of the uh, aside from doing this stuff with HPE. Right. And, and being an engineer, what else are you currently into? Oh, man, it's, where do we start? So music's going to be the constant. There's actually a, a bass guitar sitting in my hands right now. It's not plugged in. It's just it happens to be in the room that I'm sitting in and I can't keep my hands off of it. <laughs> so music is a constant, either just playing at home, uh, just recording something on my own. Uh, every now and then, you know, I'm, I'm part of a band here in Houston, Grupo Alianza. Uh, we don't have that many gigs as of late, but when we do, we're, we're doing it a lot. Um, so music is one. I kind of combine some of the music and engineering and, you know, tinkering together when I repair accordions. So I tune and repair accordions um, that was born out of necessity from being in college station and knowing you had to fix an accordion. So I had to fix my own. Uh, I'm actually building myself one from the ground up. Now it's been kind of my wake up early and work from maybe six to seven every day on that project, getting it slowly going. Um, uh, what else do I like to do lately? I like to weld lately. Um, I'm into barbecue and cooking a lot. I'm part of a cook-off team here in Houston. No, we do not do the rodeo. We're not that good yet. And that takes a lot of money to do that. Uh, so we're just small, but that's kind of spawned its own. Uh, hey, when when you and I adjust this or adjust that, you know, you need to weld. Hey, just buy a little welding machine and let's go start getting scrap steel and messing with it. So uh, I like to weld now, just a little junk here around the house. I built myself a new wood rack for when I'm going to re-up for my barbecue cooker. Um, yeah, uh, I like to cook. And so look, I mean, you kind of threw a whole bunch out there, but that was kind of the kind of the point. Right. And when you say you're a musician, like you play, you, you play the trumpet, you play bass, you in the band, you play bajo sexto. Right. Mm-hmm. What yes, other sir. instruments do you play? Uh, I can I can mess around on drums for about five minutes until someone can tell that I don't know what I'm doing. Uh, I played bass and mariachi, guitarron. Uh, I still need to actually get another one of those. 
Um, I mess around on piano for a little bit, but not having one around makes it hard to practice. Um, guitar a little bit, but I switched to bajo sexto because I wasn't that good at guitar. Um, but that, that's mainly it for now. Bass, accordion, bajo sexto. Yeah. Uh, I've been messing with the trumpet a little bit lately. But and that was the other thing that also lately. caught my attention was the restoration of stuff. So, you know me, like one of my hobbies is woodworking. And I like messing around in the garage and doing some woodworking. And you started, uh, I, I, I've seen pictures and I recall where you had, you know, po- uh, posted where you had uh, done like refurbs on some of these, uh, uh, some old accordions. As a matter of fact, Tom uh, and I still need to go over because he needs to drop off that one that he has. And sure enough, my brother had found a old accordion. I don't even know what year it is. And he goes, hey, you think Mike knows what this accordion is? And of course, I send you the picture. And within like two seconds, you're like, yep, I know exactly what it is. Uh, bring it and and, <laughs> and we can and we can and hang out and stuff. And so anywho, so and then the barbecue thing, right? So that's another kind of ongoing thing. Anytime the name Mike Cantu comes up, we're always trying to figure out how do we get him to make brisket or we're talking about it's going to, you know, a meeting with Mike is going to end up with uh, with uh, with some brisket at some point, which we still need to cash in on at some point. Anywho, we so, do. man. So you, you you're, you're involved in all of this and you're still managing this career. And I kind of want to start asking, like, why? Why the hobbies, Mike? Like what? Wh- where does that come from? Uh, do you, and what does it do for you uh, as a, you know, in, in managing this whole thing called a, a, an engineering career? Uh, going back to the beginning, um, the same through line is true. It, it's, it's kind of this addiction to curiosity. It, it's, um, Hey, that looks cool. Let's dig into more of it. And just going down, be it a Wikipedia or a YouTube. Now that we, you know, we're enabled nowadays with technology to go down a YouTube rabbit hole, just start looking into stuff and, and figuring it out. And, you know, one thing leads to another barbecue leads to welding and welding is going to lead to who knows what else. And then music leads to repairing instruments. And then, you know, I, I kind of I was thinking about woodwork like you do as well, because one day I do actually want to build guitars. But there's a lot of investment when it comes to that kind of tooling and, and shop space, et cetera. But um, it, it's really they, they build upon each other, the hobbies and the, the career. Yeah, it does kind of squeeze your time, especially, you know, my wife and I. We have family here in Houston. We have great friends. My family's in San Antonio, so and we spend a lot of time with them as well. So you're kind of busy all the time. But for me, the hobbies kind of give me the the yin to my yang when it comes to my career because that curiosity keeps my mind um, going and, and brightened and, and working on something new all the time. If at times work may be a bit mundane, you know, doing the, the regular day-to-day stuff and um it actually, I've noticed that if there's something in my career or something in my day-to-day work that I'm hitting a wall, I don't think of right. I'll go play some music for a while and go to sleep for the night and wake up in the morning and work on my accordion, and do something else, have a cup of coffee, sit with my dogs. And I'll see that problem in my head right before I get to work in a completely different way. And a solution that I may not have thought of the day before because of burnout, because of just lack of clarity. After getting my mind into a creative space, into a relaxed space, into a curious space. Um, it helps, you know, jump your brain from left to right, back and forth. And I think they complement each other fairly well. Yeah. And I think that's, uh, you, you, you hit on something important, something big. And I think before you said, Hey, it's the yin to my yang or Hey, it's, it's balance. And, and, and it gives you this opportunity to kind of look at things a little bit different. Like for me, I know if I didn't have my hobbies, if I wasn't into something, uh, I would go, I would go nuts, man. Like sometimes work is, is so demanding work is, is work, you know, by in the, in the negative sense of the, of the, of the de- definition of the word, like it, it just has that, uh, I can fall into that trap sometimes. And so to me, you know, pretending I know how to play bass or going out and building something or, or, or even this podcast is all a way for me to do something that's completely not related and gives me a chance to like walk away from that world and and do something else. You know, there's times I'm no and the majority of the time I love what I do, but at work. But it is nice to have something completely outside of of work and even my family. So here's the other. So I got family and Manny, what about your wife and what about your kids? Yeah, but there's some things that just need to be 
uh, Manny and nobody else. And that to me is where those those uh, hobbies live. Do you have anything similar like that? Is this stuff that that you do maybe for selfish reasons or 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 what, what's your take on the reason why you do them? That's a really good question. Let me digest that real quick. Um, some of them we do do together. My wife and I like the gardening. Um, we'll go out there and both kind of put some, I think we grew, we grew corn last year and I have a bunch of chili plants that I always have going. Uh, we'll do that with our nieces every now and then, but yeah, the lately the welding and the, the stuff I do with, um, breaking things apart and putting them together in the garage, that's kind of in solitude. You know, I have the welding mask on my, my cap on or whatever the gloves and you just, you know, you burn the stick and, and you just get behind it and concentrate and kind of do your own thing. So uh, no, I agree. And, and for sure, the music is definitely about myself. My wife, every now and then, she's like, you should put that accordion away. You know, it's, it's getting late and, or, or it's kind of early or it's I'm resting. It's, no matter what time of day, it's never a good time. But um, it's a uh, there's definitely those times where you have to check out and have, you know, some personal time or some you time be that um, behind a, a welder or behind an instrument. Yeah. And, and what's your look? And I, I see I have met people. And I see this as a recruiter on some young professionals and also some students that are about to graduate who are so hungry to find a job in which they 100% identify with, right? Like, hey, I need to, you know, they've been told, hey, go to college, do school, get this job and make sure you find a job that makes you happy and that, you know, the people are good and that it keeps you motivated and they just look to to work to fill that gap. What are your thoughts on that? As someone who is completely wanting to make work fill a hundred percent of their of their life, you know that's that's something that I really do have. I think unique and and somewhat strong, not you know crazy strong, but you know pretty pretty stout feelings on. Um, I think if you're the kind of person who really wants to be fulfilled by by your career and use that as your primary motivator. You know, there are spaces for that. You know, some people have startups where, man, this is a thing I believe in, be it a startup based on a philosophical view or a technology that you really want to get off the ground or an application that is really going to change things, be it business wise, technological wise, social wise. If you really identify as an individual with whatever it is that you're trying to make your career, those are the kind of things that you can turn into you know, your, your motivation day to day. And those people who say you never work a day if you have a job you love um, for those who aren't. And I'm, I'm one of those who aren't um, again, going back to my grandparents, my grandfather on my, my mom's side, he cut grass for the city of San Antonio for his job. He retired from the city, cutting grass behind a tractor um, back in the days when they weren't air conditioned. He always pointed that out every time we saw one that did have air conditioning <laughs> and um, he didn't like it. Uh, I mean, he, uh, his boss fired him for going to his dad's funeral the first time around. And then he eventually got the, the job back through someone else several years later. Um, it was not what he liked to do. He was a musician. That's what he loved to do. But, uh, that's what I remember him telling me. He's like, Mijo, if you get a job, you can pay for instruments and play music in your spare time. But if you play music as a lit for a living, you're never going to be able to be comfortable and take care of your family. So I always had that in the back of my head, you know, you don't necessarily have to love the job you're in. You can like it. You can even love it. But most people aren't going to love it 24 seven. And it's OK. Jobs like that, you know, still have nobility to them. They still serve a purpose. You know, everyone in life, whatever job you have, you have a job and you serve a purpose in our society, in our world. And for those of us who, who don't have the, the blessing to love exactly what we do. Uh, we find hobbies, be that sports teams, gigamags. We, this wasn't our year, but maybe next year. <laughs> um, well, we find sports teams to identify with. We find hobbies. We find bands and musicians. We find, you know, cook-off teams and, and things like that. We find groups like Mayas and Ship uh, where we go identify and work on the things we deeply believe in. Um, and whenever we can tie them into work, that's great. But the main thing is if it's work-related, if it's not work-related, just do something you love, be it be with your family, be it, have a hobby, whatever it may be. No. And that, and you make a, you make a, a really strong point there. And, and typically I, I tend to not, not not tend to, but I, I'll forget right there. You're right. There's, 
there is that place for startups or entrepreneurs if they want to do, you know, if, if that's what they're into and that's what motivates them and keeps them, you know, that's what they identify with. You're absolutely correct. Um, I, and there is a very special breed of people who can do that at this stage in my life. Like not to say that, Hey, maybe later, once the kids are out, I would, I wouldn't, I, I, I might be interested in starting a business or something, something on the side or whatever. But for now, no, I'm like, I, I like the job that I have. Uh, I, I don't think I could, I would have the, uh, the, uh, I could definitely see myself hating having to administer my own business. Right. But uh, I, I get paid well and I have these hobbies that I'm able to 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 do on the side to help kind of fill the rest of the items that are going on in my life or, or interests that uh, I may have as well. And I like how you also did the plug there and, and started talking about student organizations, right? Because it, it is just a a a. A, uh, a different avenue, right, uh, of of scratching that itch of trying to be part of something different or trying to do something different is those uh, those student organizations definitely uh, uh, lend themselves to that. So, Mike, look, I'm looking at the time and I want to be respectful, respectful of your time. And I think we went a little bit over. But what, what would you say, you know, in hindsight, with everything that we've talked about, uh, and, and I'll let you pick where you want to land, but what kind of advice would you have right now for a, a student that's uh, thinking about or who's doing a STEM degree or maybe even a young professional? What would be Mike uh, Mike's words of advice? Uh, I'm not good at this kind of stuff uh, <laughs> off the dome, um, but to keep it short and sweet, I would say make up your own story. You know, you're, you're going to have friends. You're going to hear other people's stories. If I did this and I did that path and, you know, Peter had a super, he worked for Anheuser-Busch. That's super cool. You know, Gabe was able to work for a real cool company yourself with Exxon. Um, everyone has their own path. So do things in a way that fit your life. Do things in a way that fit what you feel in your heart. And work to not compare yourself to others. And write your own story. You know, that if anything that, that I can say for myself, I didn't have the best grades. I started with a real small company. Uh, now I'm fortunate to be working at a, a large company. It's very secure right near my home and couldn't be more blessed. Uh, I mean, I literally thought of it today. I talked to my trash can to open it. Like I never thought as a kid I would have what would seem like a luxury. It's crazy, but it's one of those small things. So write your own story, buy yourself a trash can you can talk to and just enjoy life. That's awesome, Mike. I want to thank you again for making yourself available. Uh, I do 100% intend on pulling you guys in into more targeted conversations, like on one topic, maybe a little shorter, but I did think it was uh, for the first go round important that kind of folks hear the story, but I'm going to be uh, knocking at your door for sure. So I'm going ahead. I'm, I'm greasing the skids right now. So again, man, thanks. And, and uh, 